I really want to, I think my favorite thing in London, my two favorite things is the Churchill stuff underground, that museum, and uh, Westminster Abbey is ridiculous. It might be the it might be the best tourist attraction in the world. That's on our list. Really? Holy is. shit! You have no idea. Better than Times Square, dude. It rivals anything in New York for like history. Anything in New York. So, tequila in the coffee. No, don't do that. Oh my god, that's it's probably the right a thing, day, right? Don't do that. Right week. Yeah. Is oh. this biotech? No, it's muni buns. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you guys have coffee out here? Yeah. I like in the Madonna. Do we have coffee made? Yeah, yeah, let's make him the pour over. Look at this. <laughs> Look what we got. Not the pour over. Yo, guys. Sean, I'm not going. This, this is what is this new funky mic switch? Is this old or new? Mine didn't change anything. No. Oh. My buttons. They're registering, but I don't. Oh, know I have an idea. Oh, I got it. Yo, it. yo, yo, yo. <laughs> no, for real. Because this is way too low. This is the move. This is perfect. Put my mic on! Did you hear it? What? Turn my Put mic on? Put my mic yeah. on! Yeah. Is this going to be the third week in a row with the poopy clothes? It's got to be more than that. Dude. Are the rivets too structural? Yes, don't touch it. Apparently. Okay. All right. so, That's Michael's idea. Let's switch out Chewbacca. Give me Darth Vader. We should do it based on what the market's doing that day. Down yeah. days, Vader, okay. up days, okay. Chewy. Let's not spill it. All right, thank you, I'm sorry. So when I texted Dan the other day, mm. Chanos autocorrected to champs or champ or something. Oh yeah, yeah. He's like, who? <laughs> who the f is champ? Uh, Bruce Champ. Chanos, sorry, I got stuck in Miami. Uh, try to go easy on Farmer Jim. Yeah, you want me to come on as as Jim Chanos? Just or? be Chanos. Just be short everything you're long. Yeah. Uh, are we giving up all the gains to the close? You want to hear what this? You want to hear what this this kid asked me today? Who? He said, "Yo," he said, "Do you wear white jeans?" Josh definitely wears white jeans. You confirmed it. I said 100. percent No hesitation. <laughs> you know how you know how majestic I look in white jeans between Memorial nah, Day. No, because we were Labor talking about Day? like old douches that like go to like nice restaurants and right. their white With jeans. The flower shirt. And, and I was like, oh my no god. Flower shirt. I said to Chris, Josh is definitely a white jeans guy. And yeah, I said, 100%. you wear white jeans? He goes, yeah, I wear white jeans. Let me set the scene for you, Roslyn. Exactly. Exactly. We were North talking Shore, about Roslyn. Yep. Okay. It's about eight o'clock. Sun is still out. About to set. Right. What shirt do you wear with the white jeans? Bro, I'll wear, I'll wear like, I'll wear like the dopest when Versace t-shirt. Stop. You don't I do really that. Will, Stop. You're not I that do. big of a douchebag. You don't no. wear Versace t-shirt. The t-shirt with the gold on. chain print. Not yeah. actually a chain, but No, I won't do that. Listen, I know you don't wear Versace t-shirts. I will show up at your wedding, head to toe white denim. Stop. And what are you going to do about it? <laughs> you know how sexy white jeans are in like July <laughs> on the North Shore of Long Island? Do you have any idea? I've, I'm, 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 I'm learning. White jeans or no? I, next, I, next episode? I don't, yeah, I don't next know. That's a next episode topic. <laughs> oh, my God. I know what we're in next episode. <laughs> we, might do, we might have an old white jeans uh, episode this time. I feel like we're going to so have the past, party. Yeah, the past like three episodes we've been talking about, Bank of America did like this really pretty chart quantifying the day, the hourly changes in the S&P year to date. Okay. And people legitimately don't want to hold, don't want to be long going into the weekend. It starts yeah. out okay. And then by like Thursday afternoon, it starts to get like blood red. Right. And then Friday, forget about it. Oh yeah. 
it's it's horrific. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and a- it's Thursday afternoon. And uh, once again, uh, we're fading into the close. Not good, bro. Again? Wait, we were solidly green when I sat down. Okay, well, now it's 3.30 and... Uh, it's a good thing we have tequila. It's a 3.30 dump. I went, I went into a, a meeting yesterday and I, my uh, COO was in the meeting in the corner on his laptop. And I keep, he's making this face. And I'm like... What's he doing this? <laughs> he's like... <laughs> <laughs> he does this like head tilt thing. And then uh, we're walking out. I just look back and I'm like, you guys want to bet a dollar how much the market's down? And he's just like, you don't want to know. And then we walk back in. I was like, oh, that's nice. It was, down, it was not like 80 basis points or something last time I checked it. And then it was down 400. Uh, yeah, 400. Yeah. You know the scene in Along Him Polly? Oh, yeah, yeah. Philip Summer Hoffman's in the conference room. Oh! <laughs> well, he should do that head tilt because rel- like a relatively young emerging hedge fund, COO is gone. Yeah. Like – Portfolio management is the only stable is the only uh, safe job in that environment. But you're not young anymore. Are you talking about their fund? No, I'm saying oh. this, the COO. If if somebody's got to go, if you have to lose a six figure salary, COO is gone. Hey, are you still an emerging manager or are you pass yeah. that? Yeah. Um, yes. No, you're you're mer- you're emerging for like three years, right? I guess I, I'm still beyond inconsequential in terms of AUM. So I think it's an AUM thing. Like, you're like the South. Oh, I thought, you're it, like was the like, South Korea. I thought it was a number now of I'm, years. Now I'm, now I'm boutique. I think. Maybe we can make yeah, that Yeah, it's one step up. Something What's like your that. inception? Uh, return since inception? Like, no, 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 no. Oh. Uh, don't do that. Date, There's date. A, when did you start? There's all kinds of oh. legal reasons why yeah, you shouldn't yeah, yeah, say yeah. that. Yeah, uh, August 2015. Oh, you're not, right. you're not emerging. That's what I said. Your, yeah. your boutique is right. Yeah. yeah, boutique, yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> boutique yeah, is, we're like is a bed and breakfast the bottom Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. You're the you're the tuxedo Winnie the Pooh. Right. The monocle. The monocle Winnie the Pooh. Exactly. All right, so... What are you, you guys both still on coffee? I'm making the turn. This is like my fourth coffee of the day. All right. This is Michael's new favorite, uh, new favorite tequila. We had it at Hunt and Fish because they didn't have whatever we ordered. You ever have this? You open that with the custom knife? No. It was just plastic. <laughs> Wait, I opened that with a cactus. It's good. <laughs> I opened it I open on, on the ledge. There we go. All right. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, John, how are we looking? I think we're looking good. Yeah. We're looking good, John. John's going to Con next week for the you Fall are? Festival. Oh, Ooh. Yeah, I'm tonight. Wow. Where is that? F- France? Monaco? Monaco? Where is that? <laughs> B- Belgium? South France. Based on my memory of the TV show Entourage, it's in France. That's awesome. You see, you right. see some that's films? Right. That's right. Yeah, they yeah, did go. They did go to. They yeah. went to Con. There was the probably a can joke. Top Gun yeah. somewhere in there. Oh, like, uh, no. Well, can. That's the place it. from Entourage, right? That's yeah, how yeah. it's known? Yes. No Paul Thomas Anderson bullshit, right? Oh, I'm going to be seeing Worse. so much of that. <laughs> He's seeing a movie with Woody Allen in it. No. He's still doing Woody movies? Woody Harrelson. Oh, oh. I thought you said Woody Did, Allen. No, no, no. Woody There's Harrelson. two Woodies. That's the wrong one. <laughs> Very similar. Because I asked you, yeah. I go, isn't he canceled? And you're like, I don't know. It's France. That didn't connect. <laughs> 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 oh, man. I should have spoken up. That's the problem is I don't, I don't speak up. <laughs> Uh, All right, shout out to Woody Allen, Harrison. I think Harrison. I don't. I meant Woody Harrelson. Not shout out. Not shout out to uh, Woody Allen. We we won't. Disc- All right, let's go. Before I say any more stupid shit. Welcome to the Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only 
and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, I'm Josh Brown. Did you know? Did you see this Keith Haring? Yeah, Keith Haring, Keith Haring is the real thing. Wait, that's for sale on Masterworks? All right. Did you know that you could buy fractional shares of a well-known work of art? And then when that art appreciates and gets sold, you actually can get a piece of the profit. Have it's you heard true. of Pablo Picasso? This I've piece, heard. $17 million. I, I can't afford What's that. What's that piece called? This particular Pablo is the Home a la Pipe. Mm, I already have that. <laughs> is it a la pipe? Come on. <laughs> what? It's not a la pipe. A la pipe. <laughs> it might be a la pipe. I don't know. That's not what's important. What's important is that Masterworks enables you to add a new asset class to your portfolio. You can own fractional shares of well-known art by well-known artists, and it's a pretty cool way to diversify. So go to masterworks.art slash compound to find out more. And see the important disclaimer at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. We're going to have an awesome show tonight. I'm so excited. We have tequila in the room. Stocks close green today. Modestly green. It's 3.30. Do you know what time it is? No. <laughs> Wait, where are we going to close? The market's we're still, it's still going. Oh, look at this lead I'll down. Let, I'll let you know. Keep going. Where's the 10-year? Just keep Give me a read on the 10-year right now. That's not what people are here for. I honestly think that that matters more than anything that's going on in the stock market. 275? Yeah, that's good. Keep it down. I'm making that up. I don't know. All right, Dan McMurtry is here, and if you're a fan of the show, then you are definitely a fan of Dan's. Dan is our uh, Dan is here for a 21st time out of uh, how many shows? 46? 47. Is this your fourth show? I have no idea. I think so. It is. Dan is not in costume uh, this time. The yes, first- he is. He's headphone manager. He's yeah, now I'm dressing up manager costume. Good, good call. Do you know the origin of that vest? Why that's a hedge fund? Thing. I have no idea. You just do it because everyone else is doing it. Yeah, it's just I just. Josh I, is going to tell I, you. I feel like I need a. Is vest. it? A, isn't it a point? Uh, SAC. Yeah, it's an SAC thing. It's a Stevie thing. He just cut the sleeves off one day. No, so he kept his trading room like uh, sixty degrees. Ah, because he wanted everybody alert. Is that what? Is that? Does that I work? Swear to God. So the so the guys are wearing you know button down shirts, right? And then it's like they need a layer. So that's where the vest makes that's, sense. That's the origin of the vested. Hedge fund trader and or PM. I didn't know that. So you're carrying on a very important tradition. There we go. Dan's the founder and CEO and portfolio manager of Tyro Partners, New York-based hedge fund. I, I did this whole thing for you. Focusing on trends in supply chain, technology, healthcare, industrial, and consumer markets. Dan is a partner at Anchorless Bangladesh, an early stage VC fund targeting the startup ecosystem in Bangladesh. Dan has a wealth of experience in financial markets including analyst roles at Griffin Capital Management, BP, Nuveen Investments, the Center for the Study of Financial Regulation, Oppenheimer & Co., and June He Law Firm. Say more about that. What is that? Uh, I was at Notre Dame, and I, I had a weird opportunity to go live in China for like a year and a half, mm. and I was trying to get an internship in uh, in China, and so there's a guy at Notre Dame who knew a law partner at this M&A law firm in China, and so- China, things just work kind of differently. So their judiciary branch, their executive branch are not separate. So, you know, there's a lot of stories about kind of white guys getting defrauded in China. And what you'll find is if something bad happens to you in China, you can go to the court and the court actually will kind of give you a reasonable ruling. They're going to give you a very nice piece of paper and it says, you're absolutely right. They stole your stuff. That's really terrible. And you're like, hey, can I get 
like enforcement yeah, no. on this. And they're like, oh, no, we don't do, – you got to take that to the party. Mm. And then you go to the party and the party's kind of like, well, what's our interest in enforcing this? Mm. Uh, so if you're looking to do any sort of deal, you need to understand what the, what the law says and also what the reality of the party is and interests, incentives, all this other stuff. So it was a really cool experience getting to see how that worked. I got to work on a couple big U.S. corporates buying assets in China. And like you can't technically own a lot of these things. So it's like technically a perpetuity lease and – it, it's just a lot of yeah. The whole chi- the whole Chinese situations. property market is hundred year leases. Right. Nobody owns property. The party owns the property. Right. Well, the country, the people own the property. Right. right. Which sounds a lot scarier than it is, right? Because you hear that and you go, "That's absolute madness." But if the entire system is used to that, it does generally function as you know anything else would. But also, it, you're not going to own anything for a hundred years anyway. You can be right. dead. Right. So so why do you need to? So, um, but you know. The risk is the kind of the tail scenarios, and if you're an outsider coming in, it's very, very risky. And you don't want to go in there without. And so you hire a very expensive, nice law firm because they know the right people, and they can tell you, they can give you the kind of the no bullshit answer on here's what's actually going on here, here's what your actual exposures are. Uh, you know, independent of it's kind of like you're looking at some of these, you know, this Twitter situation right now, and there's a certain legal interpretation, and then it's kind of a practical reality of. Will the SEC step in? Something like that. We're seeing some of that in the United States right now, but in China, that's always been the case. I was going to say, don't you feel like that's the story of the last five years? Yeah. Where where people on Twitter are outraged. They're like, oh, did you see what they just did? Right. And then it's like, well, what are you going to really do about it? And then right. a lot of things that we thought were laws turned out just to be norms. And once you violate a norm and the initial shock wears off – it's like, yeah, we just we just did that. We just drove a, a car through your house. Speaking now of Norm, what? I hear there's like a yes. Netflix special coming out. Yes. What? what Norm. Missing? Oh, really? Yeah. Norm MacDonald apparently recorded a comedy special before he passed away. And they sat on it all this time? No, apparently he did it like in the final weeks. Mm. And he did it alone in a room. And it's just him apparently saying whatever it is he wanted to say without Can repercussions. not wait. And Here's what I really think, as if he was he, – like he was right. filtered already. He, he never oh, that's cared. Gonna, that's going to be good. I, yeah, but I mean I I'm already know. offended. I haven't even seen it. Right. So. I mean I, I just – yeah, I have no idea what he's going to say, but yeah, it, well, it, it's going to be weird. I have a feeling we're going to be fans – we're going to be fans of it. Uh, all right. Good to know. So let's – where are we starting today? Are we starting with .com 2.0? Is this 2000 to 2002 all over again? I think it kind of is. I just think it's sped up. You know, we're, it's we're way having, faster. Yeah, it's everything is. It's on a five or ten x clip, which is the yeah. way it's been. That's reasonable. I'd buy that. You know what the difference is though? Back then, interest rates were seven percent, right? And now we can't even handle uh, can't even handle one percent Fed funds rate. I mean, that's that's a pretty scary situation. Well, I kind of flip it around. Uh, Jim Chano says a line where he says, you know, in two thousand, there were a bunch of these companies that were two to four billion that, and he made ton of money in the short side, shorting. He's famous for Enron and these other guys, but what he'll say is there are all these other companies that were two, three, four, maybe five billion. They went to two to four hundred million, and now so they lost ninety percent. Right, but they didn't. St- they didn't start from a hundred billion. Right, right. and okay. now now right, the, you know those the fraud, same con- yeah. those same kind of concept stocks are twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred billion. Mm. Um, and so I, I just think the valuations, if you sort of scale adjust everything. It kind of makes sense. I mean, we're, we were at a much higher level of absolute valuations for companies that were still, you know, the, the, the companies were still kind of ideas from a business sense. They hadn't really validated their economics. There are probably good reasons to think they could have, but they had yet to produce a dollar profit. And when you're dealing with a company where financially the valuation is all 
in the terminal value, it's all 10 years out plus profits. I mean, it's an opinion. And so you're dealing with these crazy valuations. I think it, it kind of, I mean- Counterpoint, they have right. revenues this time. That's, that is an improvement. These yeah. were business models. They right. were $4 billion business models, which I don't right. know which is worse. Well, one, I push back on the, re- on the revenues thing because I do think there's a question of like, how much money do they spend to get those revenues? And that's, that's kind of the problem. There's a lot of businesses that have, you know, $2 billion in revenue, but they spent $7 billion to get that. Yeah, yeah. Does that really make sense? Um, Here's what I think. The unwind is similar, right? Just yeah. the, the, the collapse is similar. And maybe that's where it ends. Uh, Mark Rubenstein, there's a few good counterpoints. Mark Rubenstein, I think this data is from uh, the Luthold Group. The tech sector peaked at 34% of market cap in 2000, right. but it only contributed 8% of nominal GDP. Right. This time around, it peaked at 27% and contributed to 18% yeah. of GDP. And you, know what the problem, you know what the problem is with that, though? What? A lot of the companies that we're talking about are not classified as tech. So the semiconductors are, the software as a service companies are. I think they're reclassifying them. They're reclassifying Google. They're or, throwing in Amazon yeah, I think and, so. uh, and Netflix. I th- like these are, these are consumer discretionary or communication stocks. Here's some more good stuff. This is from Gavin Baker. The trailing 12-month EPS for the largest tech companies. So we're, he's so Gavin Baker, just to set this up, is saying we're 21 months removed from peak big tech valuation, which is 2020. So we're 21, right. month, 21 months removed. He said trailing 12-month EPS for the 10 largest tech stocks declined 73% in the 21 months post-peak valuation in 2000. Mm-hmm. Trailing 12-month EPS for the 10 largest tech stocks today has grown 71% since peak valuations 21 months ago. So to approximate a 2000-style meltdown, earnings per share for the 10 largest tech stocks today would have to decline 73%. not happen. Which is not going to happen. Last thing. So, he's, he's, so Gavin says this is nothing like the year 2000 in terms of either valuations or bottoms of fundamentals. Last point, Y2K multiples would have taken the NASDAQ to a peak of over 30,000. Instead, it peaked at 16,000. What if he's looking at the wrong stocks? Take out, take out the top 10 uh, tech, tech companies, and maybe it's probably I, more similar. So yeah, we're talking about Coinbase. With, yeah, I agree with Gavin's point, but I think the way he's getting to it doesn't make a ton of sense. Why? Because we're, nobody's really – like in, in, in 2000, you're talking about Cisco, Microsoft, those companies at, at crazy valuations. We're not – Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, you know, Netflix has gotten Th- those tagged. never got crazy. Tw- 25, 25 these times. Are not, these times. are not ludicrous. So numbers. the crazy was not there. It was one step below, which were right. still huge mid-cap companies. Mid-cap tech. Which were still well, giant. No, no, not even mid-cap. Large, Large. cap tech, not, not mega. mega. Not mega. We didn't yeah. have yeah. like we yeah. didn't have that yeah. that distinction back then. But think about like ServiceNow, Workday, um, uh, CrowdStrike, which I right. these were 40, 50 times sales. All right, here it is. Yeah. So Coinbase got to $75 billion in market cap. It's now 14. Peloton got to 50. Right. It's now five. Yeah. That's dot com shit. Yes. 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 That was, look, I, I, there's a lot of smart people who are losing a lot of money right now. And I, and I don't think anybody wants, nobody wants to be like grave dancing or, or, you know, no mean to be, I'm not meaning to be disrespectful to anybody, but everything that's happening is exactly the predictable outcome that has happened since the beginning of time. Like there's nothing that's happening in any of these markets that is unpredictable. The commodity market, it's a classic capital cycle thing. We didn't invest for 10 years. Now we don't have enough commodities. That's the day one outcome. You could predict the outcome, but not the the um, the moment it's going to matter. Right. And also the past the there, of it. I think what, what, what some people maybe miss is if you didn't play that game, it was incredibly hard to survive the last five years. 
Like um, if you were different, yeah. Like well, or, I mean, even if you were like a long biased manager, if you weren't willing to participate in high multiple stocks, you underperformed so much that how did you stay in business? And I know a lot of people writing really good letters. Who, you're writing really good letters who shut down <laughs> shut down their businesses. Um, and I also, you know, like um, what's his name at at Horseman um, in London, the short seller uh, yeah, yeah. Russ, right? He shut down like right at the top. Like it was brutal to make it through that period. And so like, you know, it's, it, it's, if you look at all the money managers that, and I think there was a chart last time I was on here about this, but it's kind of like an evolutionary process where if you don't have the right traits to survive in that environment, you die. But then if the environment changes, the guys who survive die. And I think that's just what's happening right now is yes, it's the obvious thing, but it's a not really like these people go, A really good example of somebody who refused to play the game and right. was able to survive, I think, on reputation and just people remembering, right? This guy usually in the end ends up right. Farman? No, David Einhorn. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He refused to play. No, he's definitely he's definitely killing it. This but he year. kept a low profile, right. right? Like he wasn't out there screaming the fangs no. overvalued. He stopped doing well, that. Well, well, well. He he was in 2015. Oh, but I'm saying okay. the last three years. Yeah. Correct. During the pandemic, right. he was not on Twitter. Nope. Yelling at people about stock valuations. He kept his head right. down. He stayed out of that game, and it looks as though. Once again, I don't know. Maybe it's the fifth right. cycle. He's being vindicated. But you know what? It took so it took so long to but get. My here. point is, there are not a lot of people yeah. of his stature right. that could have survived that based on reputation. Sport. Well, yeah, and I, I think the thing is, like, there's a pretty good number of of money managers, fund managers, whatever, that have exceptional five year records. Um, there's maybe ten percent that number that have exceptional ten year records. But then when you look and you get to people who have twenty year records. There's like no one. It's like 50 people ever, right? <laughs> it's so hard. This is why. Because the exact thing that would allow you to survive the last five years will kill you <laughs> in four months. Yeah. Just just uh, yeah. over for you. God. And I mean, how many how many brilliant – I mean, all these guys are, are have 50 IQ points on everybody in this room put together. <laughs> and I mean, their track records are impaired. Okay. So, so – but hold on. Here's another dimension to this. A lot of this is where does your capital come from and what expectations are you setting on that capital? And very wisely, a number of hedge funds 10 years ago started setting up reinsurance operations, which maybe is not powering the entirety of their hedge fund uh, assets under management, but it's permanent capital. Permanent is the wrong word. It's coming in regardless of your performance because it's not coming from investors. It's coming from people paying premiums. You know who's done the best job of that? And and, people like to bag on him, but- Bill Ackman yeah, he did that. is like the most improved player of his kind of like cohort, I guess, because he got tagged on Valiant, a few other things. He had, he had, a, he had you know, just a rough period. He raised permanent capital mm-hmm. in a vehicle that can't they can't ever take away from him. He stopped doing the things that weren't working. And then, you know, Bill's always had— What is he? He has a publicly traded reinsurer in Amsterdam or something? It's like a closed-end fund. Okay. Um, so you raise money. It's like a mutual fund, but you raise money once. And when, you, when, you, when you're investing in a mutual fund, right, you're putting money in. New shares are being created. They're buying stuff for you. The closed-end fund, they just issue the shares. Then it's a fixed pool of money, and people can trade the, the shares. But the capital is there. Right. The capital is locked up. So, so it's kind of like buy a, or it's sell a company. the shares based on perceived discount right. or premium to NAV. Right. But he has the capital to right. invest. And it points, I think, that the discount to the assets was like 30 or 40%. Yeah. When people didn't have any faith that he was going to come back, but he didn't get any of the capital pulled from him. And the guy just continues to improve. I mean, I'm I'm incredibly impressed. And, you know, everybody was making fun that he made the Netflix investment and then he cut it. 
But I'm like, look, you're the best in the world at this. You're right 60, maybe 65% of the time if you're a god. You know what marks somebody that's not really in the business? A willingness to make fun of other people for having down positions. Right. It's like, are you f***ing kidding me? Like, do you invest for a living right. and, you've, and you're never wrong on anything you do? What yeah. are you saying? And Dan, to your point, 2014 Ackman would have held on. Well, he did. Yeah. He did hold on yeah. to, to – he had multiple big positions move against him. And, oh, um, no, no, no. Um, 2014 Ackman he right would now TV. Would, be, would be in a 13D battle with Netflix. Right. And start calling the shots on what shows to make. Hey, you know <laughs> Like what? starring in the show. You, yeah. Not only do I want two board seats, I want to be on the next season of Ozark. You know what's right. predictable in hindsight? I'm, Actually, I think he'd be good in Ozark. He'd be great. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, Walmart and Target. Just this idea, like, when that happened, I felt like such an idiot. Not that I short companies, but, like, um, they these are discount retailers for the mm-hmm. most part. And, of course— A little bit the, more discounted now, would of, you say? Of course— Come on. John of, left. Of yeah. course— the Heavily co- discounted retailers. Of course they're going to have to absorb the inflation, right? right? And their margins are going to have to get hit because they can only pass on so much cost. Right. Big Those share. Those are weird. Not a big shareholder. Uh, Walmart, Target. Yeah. No, no, nobody owns those things. No, I mean, the, those are weird. I mean, there's a, there's a wait, why are they weird? So there's this really weird thing happening. And, and part of it, like keep in mind the last X number of weeks, you've had a lot of major investment operations winding down. People are having to act for reasons that are not fundamentally oriented. You know, they're like, we have to stay in business. We have to return capital. We have something going on. We can't, you know, they're not just sitting there doing calls and building models or whatever. And so what was weird was leading up into uh, Walmart and Target's print. You know, hedge funds will pay experts, people who work in the field, whether it's, you know, a distributor of products or something, say, hey, like, you know, how's business? What's going on? What's the inventory situation? Uh, Because the company can't tell you things, but other people in the world can. And it goes back to, like, if you ever read, like, Peter Lynch stuff. So leading up to those, those are two of the biggest, most important economically companies in the world. Yeah. Um. If you talk to anyone who worked around any of these companies, anyone, they were all like, the inventory situation is just ass backwards. We have a huge problem. There was a shortage in, in 2020, 2021. Then it slingshot back. There was too much. At the same time, it slingshot back. And keep in mind, you know, when Target and Walmart want to have clothes for the spring, they got to order that in Q2, Q3 of the prior year. It takes time to make this stuff and ship it. And shipping has been hard. So you had to overorder and order in advance. Double order. Yeah. To handle all those problems. And so the exact time all that inventory finally shows up, that's exactly when the consumer rolls over. And so there's a lot of people who are like, oh, they mishandled the macro or they mishandled the supply chain. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you've never worked in a real company. Like they did not have any good moves here. And you know what's not a move if you're on Target? Not having stuff because yeah, your consumers worse. will leave. Does Target have uh, macro forecasters on there? Oh, yeah. I mean, they have – well, not macro forecasts. Okay. They're not – right, but they do. Like, yeah, they're of not – you know. yeah. Target um, has a hedge fund telling them when to order uh, <laughs> children's clothing from from uh, China. Well, I, I think that's a really – I think that's a really good point. Sometimes in business, there's no win. There is right. – how do we lose less? I think you lose less by overordering inventory and then discounting it later versus people come to the stores and you don't have anything to sell them. Yeah. Well, can't imagine that being smarter. So let's well, get back to the dot com shit. John, throw up this chart. Well, wait, one point on that. Go ahead. That's that's what's going to happen. That's going to be the story of the next two years, I think. What is? There are going to be companies who overextended themselves and they're going to get stung because there, there aren't a lot of good moves for a lot of businesses. Shutting down your business is not 
a good option. Yeah, we don't like the environment. We'll, we'll see we're you just in gonna, six months. Yeah, right. We're just you know, you know, Chipotle is no longer open. We'll see you when checking prices come in. That doesn't work. You can't right. do that. You have to. And the reason customers trust certain companies is good times are bad. They provide the service. And they provide it at a reasonable price. And sometimes that company has to take a margin hit. And sometimes the company has good margins. And over the next year or two, and this is what we're focusing on at work, there are a lot of companies that are set up where, yeah, they're going to take a profit hit for one quarter, six quarters. You know, I don't know yet. Right. But they are going to take so much market share from mom and pops, from regionals, from worse capitalized other players that can't afford to provide a good quality product to their customer. Does that – that, so does – is it – isn't that in line with this shift that we're seeing in flows to dividend aristocrat ETFs and Vanguard's uh, Vanguard's high yield stock? Like people are people are back to return of capital versus return on capital, and they're looking for dependable businesses that have been through cycles before. Yeah, I think I don't think that's necessarily why they're doing it, but it has kind of the same effect, right? So they're ending up with companies that are going to naturally, you know, you can go out and you can take market share. Like you guys could go out there and directly attack another or another RIA. Yeah. Um, just we never start, would. Just start tweeting them into the ground or something. I don't know. But um, Or you could be in a position where other people go under and their clients are like, where do I go now? Survive. And they go, yeah, right? And so it's a survival game. And the companies that have built out really strong cultures – Culture is going to matter a lot. It mattered in 2020. It's going to matter now again because if you freeze up in these periods, the company that has you know, a bunch of scrappy 25-year-olds running around and saying, hey, there's an opportunity here. I can go test it. We don't need a lot of money. Yeah. They're just going to run laps around you. And so, you so you guys are buying WeWork? Oh, my is God. That, is that no. what you're saying? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. No. Um, but I, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of companies right now where – um, if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, a mom and pop investor, retail investor, um, you don't need to run out to buy these companies. You have time to actually go and look at them and do kind of a Peter Lynch type thing and figure out, you know, okay. And, and is this company going to be a winner over the next two years? If times are lean, there's a weird thing happening right now where people are like, everyone's bearish. Right. And everyone's looking for a bottom. Right. Hard for those both two things to be true. Yeah. But I think what you said is one of the silver linings of this moment is that there's no rush. Right. In 2021, 2020 and 2021, stocks went up every day. There was a 5% pullback in each of those years post the COVID bottom in yeah. early. Um, and that's but, why you're seeing that sentiment because the thing that I'm afraid of as a long short hedge fund manager is the big up day because that's when my outperformance gets obliterated. The market goes off 5%. Hmm. My fund's – up 20 basis points because my shorts go up five times as much as my longs. But right. confidence evaporated. So don't you think we're now, are we in sell the rip mode? No. So my, my point is you don't have to, right. you, when markets are trending higher, right. you can't think straight. You just like, I can't believe I don't own this. I can't believe I'm not in this. Get right. me in it. Nobody's in a rush now. That's why you see a stock go down 40% one Nobody's day. And then the next day go down five percent. So I keep saying that I'm waiting no for, urgency. I keep saying that I'm waiting for a higher low to just get a quick trade on these growth stocks. But stocks are by def- definition in a downtrend. We're making higher lows, right? I mean, I'm sorry. We're making lower highs. Yeah. We're yeah. making lower highs. Yeah. So there's no, what's the rush? There isn't. It's just lo- we're in much. a downtrend. There It'll isn't st- because now they're talking about now they're talking about the possibility of ne- of earnings tipping negative in the back half of this year. Nobody nobody that that just started investing in the last ten years has ever seen uh, earnings falling and multiples falling at the same time. Nobody. Right. That's a, a a double negative. Well, that's what happened in the dot com bubble. Is both those things. So, John, throw up this but chart. Also, like you know, 
investing is not gambling, of course, but let's use some gambling terms for a second. Did you just, did you just f-ing wink while you said that? <laughs> Do we have that on um, camera? I, I caught a but, wink. All right. But everybody's bankrolls are getting just jacked. Everybody, you know, they're like, everybody has their asset allocation plan, but their bonds are trading like biotechs. Their, their, yeah. their crypto is trading like crypto. Um, you know. The snozberries taste like snozberries. The snozberries taste like Can I tell you yeah. what happened this week, though? What's that? Uh, last week, I think, bon- I'm not saying bonds bottomed. I'm saying there was a bottom. Josh keeps calling I'm a praying. bottom. Josh keeps really calling not. a bottom in bonds. I'm really not. But a bottom. TLT ripped yesterday with the market crashing. Right. And that was not happening in April. That was not happening in March. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah, it's a bottom. A, it's a bottom. bottom. Not it's the, the bottom. bottom. It's not a bottom. It might be. It might there's be. Your, there's your uh, the, higher low. It might be. No, Sun. you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Higher lows are much. All right. Yeah, you go ahead. All right. We're looking at price to sales ratios. Is this price to sales or forward? Yeah, price to sales. Uh, forward. Forward revenue multiples okay. for public software companies. Shit got so out of control. What is that uh, blue? What is that light blue line? Twenty five times fintech. Of course it is. So all right, I'm just looking at. I'm just looking that's at. The, that's the biggest bubble of all the bubbles, right? Fin- yes. More than yeah. EVs. No. What about SaaS? Yeah. Snowflake one. These are SaaS. Fintech is kind of sassy. There's there's not going to be a business there for fintech. There's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Somebody in EVs is going to payment make for money. order flow. What do you mean? It's great. Yeah. Snowflake right. went. Yeah. Snowflake went from one eighty. It's still at thirty six, which is hilarious. Uber. Well, I don't know why I'm saying Uber went from nine to two. I mean, all of, all of these things. What did Peloton do? God only knows. Peloton went from <laughs> Pel- <laughs> Peloton went from twenty to one. Con- all right, so con- yeah, Peloton went from twenty times sales to one because sales are falling. Look, can we just stop for a minute? And acknowledge that people bet that Americans like to exercise. Like, I dude, I, I was against that. I, I I was on that idea. Of, at uh, I said, name one successful exercise or fitness related Here. company in history. Do you guys, One of my dad's cannot. best friends growing up sold exercise equipment. I watch him live this cycle. I've seen him go through like 15 of these and every time the product's awesome. It's really cool. It's the coolest thing All my thing friends are doing seen. it. Everybody gets it and then they just, they just, and they die overnight. It's the most bizarre do you know, thing. Do you know the science of hitting? Yeah. He has a great, he has a great uh, newsletter. This is Peloton subs year over year growth to you guys point. Just dead. Collapse. I went through this. I went through this on TV once. I was just like, "What? Are, what are we saying here? Are we saying all of a sudden, like, as a society, we're all going to be healthy, and we're like, because think about how many busts fit." Nobody's saying that. Uh, well, at the time, I mean, but this is impressive. You don't understand. This it's is impressive. Not, it's not a treadmill. It's a platform. You don't understand, right? right? So obviously, growth flatline. But come on, they went from like zero to a lot, and I know it was all it was all pandemic, obviously. Yeah, I was just, I was waiting to come over the top with that, but yeah. I mean, (laughs) you can see exactly when people get locked in their homes and can't do anything else. If you squint, yeah. Right. Uh, Bally's Total Fitness went bankrupt. Uh, Town Sports, remember New York Sports Club, DC Sports, every single one of these. The only exception so far seems to be Planet Fitness. Because it's, it's 10 bucks a month. Because it's like average Joe's. Like, well, they're, they're, (laughs) no no commitment at all. Planet Fitness's business model is explicitly basically we're going to sell you this lie that and you're going to go to the come. gym and, and nobody goes and, and nobody you're going to and you're going to love it and nobody cancels yeah i think bucks. it's like i think it's like 5000 members per store or something the Dude, number is crazy genius. the only day you can't right. go anywhere near there is january 1st right january yeah. 2nd yeah. don't go anywhere near planet fitness january 2nd other than that you're fine so they re- sell pizza in the <laughs> locations uh, the reason why i think it's like there's no to josh's point you're both your guys point there's no like urgency here even though the market got killed 
we're only starting to see the ramifications of all of the inflation. We're only starting to see layoffs. Like it barely, it really hasn't even started yet. Let's throw out, John, throw out this layoffs picking up chart. It is only- What is layoffs.fyi? Is that the new hot site? I keep seeing that referenced everywhere. FYI? Layoffs.fyi oh, uh, I don't know about this. is the website okay. that FT oh, is citing. Yeah, I think somebody put up put that up as like a, we're going to track. Okay. Yeah, yeah, this is a startup so we, tracker. We got we got uh, Netflix laying off 150 people. That was announced two but days this, ago. But this is not that. This is startups. Startups. This is this is not Netflix. Well, this is going to spike. Both Walmart and Amazon said on their calls that they're overstaffed. Wells Fargo too. Wells These Fargo two, is cutting. But those are the number one and two employers in America. Right. Amazon, well, yeah. So if they're if they're overstaffed, what are the odds that we're going to see a labor market this tight two months from now? Not good. Not good. So. Which helps the Fed. Well, how much? Right, right, and that's that's that's. I so we're rooting yeah. for layoffs. Okay, this isn't weird at we, all. Yeah, we. I, how many job openings are there? There's no way to have this conversation. Eleven, 11 million. I know that. Can no, get, there's just eleven. That, yeah, 11 that could get cut in half. Those could be artificial. College, college, uh, college educated unemployment two percent. It's not. It's, it can't, we can't carry on like this. I've met a lot of it's, these people who went to college. Yeah, um, Dan, what do you think? Special. What do you think about? Uh, Coinbase specifically, and maybe just like a broader broader theme on their stock-based comp. John, throw up this chart. Like, as somebody who's like actually like an investor, like how, what do you how, how bad do you want me to make your comment section? Like when you see shit like this, what Wait, do you think? Let's, for three, the, for, three, the, for okay. the audience, right, it, in, in Q3 2020, stock-based compensation for Coinbase was $16 million. And I think they had 1,500 employees around right. something like they, so. So now in the last 12 months, they hired 3,000 people. Mm-hmm. As not that they not that they could have predicted this, but retail transaction fell fifty eight percent quarter over quarter, maybe year over year. Now in the last quarter, three hundred fifty two million dollars in stock based comp. As an investor, what do you think? The mic is yours. <laughs> I, I think there was a there was a the mic is yours. <laughs> there was a, a a rap banger in the early two thousands called "It's Going Down," uh, and I think that's what's about to happen. Uh, no, I mean, they're, they're in a very rough spot. I mean, they are in crypto is in a really, really rough place because you've had kind of a branching out into the store of value type stuff. You've had the application related stuff. Then you've got collectibles, other things like that. And then you've had DeFi and I think DeFi is over. Um, there could be like a new Phoenix from the ashes here, but a lot of this stuff were just straight up Ponzi schemes. You have Sam Bankman-Fried, who's the king going on um, Joe Weisblatt podcast and just openly being like, oh, yeah, it's a Ponzi scheme. You know how this ends. Yeah, uh, I couldn't believe – I still can't believe that. I I mean – I admire the honesty. You're, you're talking about several of the major categories here getting completely obliterated. I just – I think you're going to have to have a, not a crypto winner, a crypto nuclear winner because there's so much nonsense. I mean I, I, I always try to – I'm naturally very skeptical, and when I hear the pitches, I just like skin crawls, and so I'm like, all right, I have to listen to this because I'm going to have a bias and not listen. And then I go talk to these people, and these people don't know anything about anything. What do you they, mean these they, people? Yeah. The, what do you mean the, these people? There's this meme of all these smart people go to work in crypto, okay? Bullshit. Bullshit. There's a lot of people who are like random middle managers at random companies. Yes, there's there's a small cohort of really elite coders, and they're running arbitrage operations and just ripping people's throats out, and they don't even know it. Right. There's some very sophisticated, really, really smart people that's, you know, one quarter of 1% of the traders in this market. And then there's a bunch of people 
who don't know anything about anything. They don't know how computers work. They don't know how code works. They have no idea what the f- a blockchain is. They don't know how, like, but they don't the, know how a bank account works. they're flocking there because that's where the money is. Right. It's been free money. Yeah. You go in and it prints it and then you, you get to join this cult of people that makes you feel very welcome if you're inside it and not welcome if you're outside it. And they tell you you're smarter than everyone else. And they tell you that the whole world is a scam. And you know what? The world kind of is a scam because it's this thing called society where we're all like, we're all going to yeah, like- We all agreed on the scam a We're all going to agree, ago. right. Yeah, we're, because it works. Right. And these things don't work. And I mean, I remember I was going to crypto conferences in 2015, 16. I, we, not to we've brag. done this a couple, not to brag. And they've got bagel. There's no usable application. There's nothing. And I'm tired of hearing about like, all these smart people going in, there's there's absolutely nothing usable coming out of this space. Well, other- the usable stuff is for uh, is for crypto people to do crypto things, right? But Which there's is- been but, but but there's been an argument that that's how everything starts. Like in other words, if you went to if you went to a computer a, a computing uh, trade show in right. 1980, everybody there was building things for other computer enthusiasts. Right. Steve Jobs had a booth, yeah. but nobody gave a shit what he was talking about. Like. Because and that's they were building the, things for themselves, yeah. which is how a lot of things do start. Yeah, I think the things the, – there are people who are building very legitimate technology in the crypto space. But my point is that if you were to take the top 100,000 posts about crypto on social media. Oh, well. Well, well I'm going to skip those. There are maybe six that have to do with something that is legitimately technologically important. And the other thing I would say is when I talk to serious family offices, serious investors who are, who are really trying to do the work, the things that they're investing in, I've never heard of in public from all these crypto people. Like what? Um, I don't think I'm allowed to say. Fair. But because um, they're all like – Cold fusion. Yeah, cold fusion, you know, okay. um, perpetual motion machines, that type of stuff. But – there is so much capital that has to, kind of has to be destroyed, and it's sucking up a ridiculous amount of resources. I mean, it's incredibly damaging the environment. I, I think when you're looking at store of value, you're looking at some of uh, I think NFTs in some form are going to exist. They're not going to be half a million dollars or a million dollars for these things. Like this, just it's just not going to happen. Um, but there's you know the major cohorts of this stuff, and and the majority of the participants are going to zero, and. It's. I think it's really messed up, and I have. I have a personal ethical issue with how many people. I had a friend from college who started this Facebook group where he was promoting people to go into crypto, and it wasn't like promoting Bitcoin. people to go into his coins. We was well. I don't know what his relationship was, but it was all these kind of sketchy things I'd never heard of that, that didn't yeah. have serious developer bases and all this other stuff. And he got like fifty thousand people in this group. Yeah, and I was like, because a lottery. And I, well, I went and I posted. And I said, hey. Um, <laughs> And he kept like referencing me being like, my boy knows about finance and he likes this. And I'm like, hold on. Uh, we like had a beer once he was pho- at a Photoshopping you into the t-shirt. Right. Something like that. Yeah. And I just went out and I posted. I said, hey guys, like this stuff's really, really speculative. Please, please, please. Don't only use money that you only need. put money that you can afford to go to zero because understand that this stuff 50% of the time at least is going to zero. And also if you're making a ton of money, take some off the table, Please. They blocked me from the group, and I got like 50 hate emails from people about how I was spreading FUD and trying to destroy all this stuff. Yeah, now You can't do that. It's a party foul. Right. Well, you, can't, yeah, you, know, you can't make people think twice. This stuff doesn't work if somebody thinks right. twice. And, so, and what I mean by that is like when someone's like, I'm building this thing, well, is it a bridge to nowhere? Is it right. a monorail into the side of a mountain? Right. Or is this something that people really need that are not crypto people? The answer is always like, well – 
eventually we'll figure that part out. And I accept that somebody will figure some things out, but I, I don't I just don't have a tangible example. I had a debate with somebody ad hoc, not my idea. Right. I spoke at uh young president's organization. Okay. You ever been to a y- YPO function? I actually went to one, yeah. Okay, so I went to one and I was the speaker and I made some comment like somebody was like, Do I allocate to crypto? And I was like, Well, yeah, if you think somebody else is gonna come buy it from you higher, then right. yes, it works. But if you think like it's doing anything in the economy, so far no. And this kid flipped out because he's right. a crypto kid. Right. So he's like, dude, the SWIFT system, banking system, is being moved onto the blockchain. I'm like, oh, I missed I missed that article in The Economist. Right. When? And then, of course, Barry Ritholtz is next to me. He goes, yeah, I'm moving to Monaco. Like, you know, right. it's a lot of things that are going to happen. Right. But they just haven't happened yet. I think when you see prices do what they've done. It makes a lot of people start to second guess. All right, so so, so Dan's so anyway, bullish on crypto. We get it, but in terms of so we got to Coinbase for a second. Okay, stock so my, based my, comp. What do my, you see? What do you think? Right. So one second. So my <laughs> my whole point is when you're looking at like a sector, right? Sometimes what happens when you're looking at a sector is you find a business you really like, and then the thing just keeps going down. It gets obliterated, and you're like, "What the hell is going on?" And what you miss, especially, and I remember like when I was in college and I was looking at stocks, this would happen. You miss is that it's the one good company among 500 terrible companies. Yeah. So when those companies get obliterated, it's, your stock's not going up unless it gets bought out. Like Otherwise, it's dead. So I think crypto has that problem right now. There's too much dead weight. There's too much nonsense. And there's a massive misallocation of resources, even if you were bullish on crypto. So I think that's really, really bad. So I think and, – and the number of participants my, – my point about the noise versus serious people is the vast majority of participants, the retail traders, are the people that are going to get smoked. Mm. And so I think they have a top line issue in terms of number of customers and volumes just because their bankrolls are getting obliterated. And those people don't come back. No. And they, and once – once See, and Coinbase's financials were so good when it came public. Right. Because the margins for trading this stuff – That's point two. With retail people. Right. It's like 300 bips, whatever it was. But it's, four, an artifact four, of the, but it's an artifact of the well, pandemic. Yeah. yeah. You had – people had nothing to do with themselves right. other than trade things that they didn't understand. So, right. e- so even if you're bullish on crypto, you can't be bullish on crypto and then also think that the crowd is going to stay that naive. That's what Chad42069 thinks. Come on. But come on. Like right. eventually, if this is really going to be its own ecosystem, then professional is going to step in and you're not getting 20% on trades anymore. Right. I mean, I know that this, I know CTAs used to use this term. I don't know if other firms do. But they used to call it a round turn, like how much are you making on the guy going in and out of the trade? And – you know, so they were making at one point north of ten percent plus, right? Plus whatever they were making on crossing the bid ask spread. So these were insane, uh, insane profit margins on a lot of people who had nothing else to do. Now you have all of those drivers going against them, and then Citadel, and you have Citadel and FTX yeah. coming in, yeah. right? Um, say goodbye, say goodbye to whatever your right. margins were. But no, it's interesting. Everybody was saying that. And then, like, it happened really right, quick. Right, right. That, that they were Everybody gonna, was saying what? Well, so I that can say the that. margins were going to come, going to get mushed. Yeah, so so one thing I can say, I think, is that several of the smarter, large money investors I know, I don't know, six, nine months ago, I can't remember, nice. time is a flat circle. Uh, I'm sitting there, what do you think of crypto? And they were like, well, we're going to back FTX and some similar things like that. And I'm like, well, what's the thesis? And they're like, oh, they're just going to nuke Coinbase from orbit. Were you and, worried? Were you worried last week— um, during the stablecoin run, 
that this stuff had gotten big enough to be systemic. No. And that it would be connected to the mainstream um, assets that you own for clients or whatever. Like, were you, I, did you have that concern? So, if Bitcoin went to zero, would that have a, would that have a ripple or a splash? No. Obviously, come on. No, so, so, so my 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 uh, fund is set up with kind of a very explicit design where I'm saying, look, I I buy things that have cash flow. I, I buy businesses where if they go down, the, the company will come out and will buy back a ton of stock. Earnings will be higher next year. Relatively defensive, safe, like really boring. Stuff. I only buy stocks that go up, so I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I need to figure out how to do that. Um, yeah. But uh, so my, my, my stuff tends to be pretty volatile, but it, it tends to not be correlated with the market. And so it's, it's you know, it, for me, if the market just pukes five percent on a random day, it's usually a, a relatively good thing because I can come in and I go, okay, like, you know, it, it's, it's an I opportunity. I think the fear for me. was, what if we discover that. JP Morgan's prop traders or, right. you know, fidelity, somebody that's really systemically important right. had a lot of leverage and or exposure to something that blew up and that would set off a chain reaction. Like that was the way people were talking that one day. It's, it's, we're five days removed from that. They were, crypto, crypto was a tri- uh, $3 trillion or whatever the hell it no, was. That's one, two. Fine. It's much smaller now. How big was subprime? Now. I don't think this is as ingrained in the real financial system yeah, uh, as mortgages, but I'm saying like that, that was the first time right. that I think a lot of people really were forced to ask themselves, am I in any way connected to one of these Ponzi's that's blowing up? Yeah. I, I, I just didn't, I just didn't see the, the potential for, I, I saw, you know, I think there's a big correlation between, and you can kind of see it. There's a big correlation between like ARC and the ARC related stocks and, and the retail stocks. And Ether and, yeah. and Bitcoin. Yeah, same owners, in it's, other words. Yeah, same owners, same traders. That stuff uh, is pretty correlated. It tends to be stuff I'm short. Like, okay, like it's fine for me. But I, I, there's no way that, you know, uh, a stable coin run by a lunatic uh, is going to sink JP Morgan. What's your, take on, what's like your take on this? I, I'm not on Twitter, so I didn't even know this person existed until right. last week. So my opinion on this is not that important. But I'm curious – What's your, as an extremely online person, right. what's your take on Do Kwan? Is he a, a crook or just an asshole? Yes. Okay. I mean, there's, there's, there are. I feel like he lost his entire net worth in this. But what the hell do I you're know? You're gonna, you're gonna hear the same story like 50 times in, uh, in the next like six months, where you're gonna have people where a year ago they're saying I am a coder of prodigious origin. Uh, I'm a math genius. I, I can't even explain to you how smart what I'm doing is. And then they're gonna play dumb. And then they're gonna say, "Oh, I didn't realize that this is clearly mathematically a Ponzi scheme." Yeah, and uh, it's a benevolent Ponzi scheme, right? Though. And it, it, see, it, I think it, they it, need to put it, the system on trial again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they exactly. need to explain why the dollar is the world's biggest Ponzi scheme, right? Followed by Social Security, right? That's it. Oh, that's the only way out of this. Yeah, for some of these people. And you know the, the difference between the crypto Ponzi scheme and the dollar Ponzi scheme is that the entity that backs the dollar can nuke our species out of existence, That's right. and the people behind the stable coins can tweet really mean things at you. And it's 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 similar okay. in a lot of ways. So he's now apologizing to people. I'm told on right. Twitter, off Twitter, he's calling people. I think he right, but allegedly there's been like twenty something suicides. I mean, really real. Yeah, I don't want to make light happening. of this. I don't want to make light of this at all. Uh, part of me feels like 
it would be bullish for crypto if there were like some high profile jailings. Yes. Because that's really how you show that you have to be responsible with what you put out into the world. Right. Um, so I would I don't know anything about this particular case, but we really haven't seen high profile crypto uh, penalties like that. We've seen very low level ICOs where people have gone right. to jail, but nobody knows who they are. This is, so this is you know one of the topics that has been popular on Twitter at different points is the the issue around accredited investor rules. And so the accredited investor rules basically say they're misinterpreted. What they essentially say is if you have over a certain amount of money, you're going to basically waive a lot of your protections. You're yeah. a big boy. Yeah. Like you, you know understand that this thing is levered or crazy or whatever. And I, there's an argument that you know they're ridiculous and everybody should be able to do whatever they want. And the commonly cited example is, well, gambling's legal, so why? Uh, yeah. And I, and, I, and I agree with that sentiment. But the problem is the people who want this stuff repealed, the extent to which these guys have weaponized recruiting retail investors at, at this scale using social media and stuff like this, it's really unprecedented. There's different versions of it. It's existed for a long time. But, I mean, it's exist. you know, you can go back and read Reminiscence of a Stock Operator and you read about the exact same things happening in crypto happening in the 1880s. Well, Buffett did. This he weaponized. No, I'm only kidding. Right. You know. Um, <laughs> They've been doing – no, your, your point is very important. They've been doing this forever. They were selling fraudulent shares in canals and railroads right. in the 1800s, and they used the newspapers mm-hmm. and they used telegraphs. They, we, you know, they, they were selling they were selling penny stocks over the phone. John Law, you but know, go you back could not, back. but you could not reach 10 million people around the right. world with a 140 character tweet, right. And literally recruit billions of dollars into a fraud, right? Up until three years ago. Yeah, and it wasn't nearly as controllable, and there's a bunch of other problems. And and again, look, if people want to speculate, that's not the issue. The issue is what happens every time is then something like what just happened happens. People kill themselves. People go broke. People starve. Terrible things happen. And then people go bang on the doors of government. Where were you? And where were you? What the hell? Yeah. And you know, the joke is always that regulators are archaeologists, not detectives. Um, and, and that's, that's what we're seeing happening again. Um, but you know, to have it happen at the same time where everything else is melting I down. a question though, like a regulator can stop a, a, a traditional wall street fraud in progress right. and issue a cease and desist. They don't, but they could. No, they're, I've seen, I've seen versions where they right. have, where they'll say three people just got robbed. Two of them complained to us. Right. Oh, yeah. There that, are that, yeah, they do 20 ongoing that, yeah. customers who are not aware that this is a scam and right. we're going to put a stop to it right now. We're freezing bank accounts. Yeah. And we're putting out a uh, – we're, we're doing a press conference. Oh, they do, they do a pretty good job. Okay. I'm talking about how folks. How would you stop something like this in progress if you're a regulator? Congress hasn't even said you have jurisdiction over this. That's the problem. It's a mess. But, but you know, this one's a real mess because – not only that, but the amount of money that the crypto guys are putting into lobbying is immense. Yeah. I mean, there's hundreds of millions of dollars going to, you know. Both parties now. Both parties. And it, it, there has to be regulation or this is going to end really horrifically. They do seem to be calling for regulation. The thing is they want to have a hand in helping to write it. Right. We've had, we, well, I think what, what's happening is you're seeing some players get into these really dominant strategic positions. They're going to like, you know, let's say theoretically just – beat the shit out of Coinbase. And then once they're in kind of a pseudo-oligopolistic, monopolist position, they go, okay, now we're ready for regulation, right? right? And then they're going to own the market. And so, it's really, really smart. But what what is what is concerning and important is that we get to that point without a ton of people losing their life savings 
and and ending up in these horrible situations. Uh, this is uh, less horrific news. Um, there we go. So shipments of smartphones within China fell 40% year over year. And Apple is getting, for the first time in quite a while, like Apple's getting the shit kicked out of it. And like, I feel like this has ramifications. I, I said that the market can't bottom until, until uh, Apple and a couple of other stocks stop selling off. Apple, Apple just started selling off. Yeah. Yeah. I know individual stocks can bottom, sectors can bottom, right. but the S&P can't. Like mathematically, it's it's a big it's a big slice, right? So I don't see a way where, I don't see a way where the S and P five hundred uh, stops going down and recovers, while the Fang stocks lose another five uh, lose another five multiple points. Dan, talk about this. Walmart got clocked again today. So did Target. Yeah. Modest proposal tweeted yesterday: a point seven three beta stock fell twelve percent. Today, a point eight beta stock is falling twenty five percent. That is mildly disruptive to risk parameters. <laughs> yeah, talk about this. I mean. I mean, what he, I don't know what he said is basically obvious, but I, I mean, look, you're it's blowing you're, models up. Yeah. Well, you're having a situation Why? where because you're over, if you're looking for safety, you're overweight, low beta stocks and they're acting like ARC stocks. Yeah. Well, you're just, you know, what, one of the things you're going to do if you're running a, a, a risk model, right, is you're going to take a stock or, or, a, or a market or whatever it is, and you're going to go through the historical data and you're going to see how volatile is this thing over different windows. You're going to check how it correlates. Uh, you're going to look at what's what the options did and what the what the old options did, what the new options did, all this other stuff. And you're going to try to figure out, okay, what does this thing normally do? And then what does this thing do under weirder scenarios, right? And so you're going to kind of try to – Stress test. Yeah, stress test it, figure out what's going on. So what do we call this? And so this is a, just a non-stable kind of distribution. Like this is something where – and so basically the thing that makes people break the glass and go, holy shit, I'm out is when you start to see things move way outside of your models really fast. Because if something creeps, you can sort of tweak things. Nothing like this. But something gaps outside of your – and so this is like, this is like so the a first consumer, scene. a consumer staple stock blowing so up. So both yeah. of these, Walmart and Target, both of them in the same week had right. their worst day since 1987. Right. Literally Black Monday. Right. At the, and, in the same week. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, this is like the first or second scene in Margin Call, if you guys remember the movie, right? So they, they're like, the guy figures out the model and, he, and they're oh, like- he calls his boss. Yeah, he and goes, what is this? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and they go and they go, what does this mean? And they're like, this is where it's supposed to be. And now it's here. And they're like, oh, and that could happen. And they're like, no, it happened last week. And then they're like, oh shit. And then it and Paul, starts everything. Paul Bettany is very concerned. Right, yeah, exactly. He's extremely British about it all. Yeah, um, it's kind of like that. But I, I part, part of what's happening right now in the market is, you know, the market, I think- if you're, especially if you're a retail investor, or even if you're, you know, most people should think about the market as kind of being a amorphous sea of capital doing things, but it's yeah, not. Mo- most it's, people don't know what the word amorphous means. Just so. a, it's just a big bucket of water, and it's, it's not important to pay attention to the individual water molecules or whatever. But it's not. It's 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 actually discrete actors. It's individual firms, people, and it's pretty concentrated. And so, um, when you have a period like the last three or four weeks, you're having a lot of like big funds that normally would step in when something's down 5% and buy some. Melvin. People that would provide liquidity is always the <laughs> euphemism for it. You Melvin being one. People like Do Kwan would normally People like step, Do Kwan. step, step in, in and save Walmart. Walmart. Yes, yeah, yeah. right, yeah. But you're having a lot of, you know, a lot of the largest hedge funds, with the exception of the multi-managers, are down they're 30, so, 40, so 50, bearish. 60%. Yeah. Well, they don't have any, they don't have any bankroll. They have no fire, they have no more bullets to put in the gun and shoot at stuff. They have to play to survive right now. And also, okay, you're down 60% and you own – the thing is a lot of these guys, they own like 9% of a company. So if they sell a share and that gets out in the market, people go, holy shit, Tiger's well, the bank, selling this. The bankroll is the companies themselves right now. 
Which well, is, I'm just talking about well, in the buybacks. Market. Yeah, we're going to do a trillion, a trillion one in buybacks in the next 12 months. Right. But not all companies are going to participate in that. Right. But the question is like immediately after, so immediately after like, let's say Target reports, who is there to step in and buy Target shares in this market environment? Jeff Mackey. Jerome Powell. Je- literally just Jeff Mackey. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nobody, there's nobody I know who either people are not in a rush, as we were talking about, or they literally don't have the money. And even if they wanted to get the money, they might have to go, you know, if, 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 there's, if there's a headline that like, a tiger cub is selling one of their big holdings that stock's going to get smashed so they can't sell that to get cash to go to something else do you think they want to lever up their portfolio the other thing that i thought was funny not really funny uh tragically funny you picture like and there, you know there's thousands of these guys out there you picture like the guy who runs the family office right for the family who founded like uh, walmart's a bad example because we know who they are right but like just one of these companies that loses 30 percent a week right and you're like running the family office and the whole thing is reliant on the shares of that company not doing what they just did it's like all right i guess we're not going to have the picnic <laughs> like, I, I don't think we're going to do the easter egg roll uh this year thankfully, on the front lawn thankfully i don't i don't think most family offices are actually are actively levered off of their stock although a lot of like tech oh i tech think people i think they are. mostly are well speaking of levers john can we throw up this this yeah. options chart Dan, high not slide did this thing on like option industry volumes, and yeah. this has to be this, uh, this has to be like yeah. moving shit. We had a, we had a technical difficulty. Yeah. What is that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. no. So I mean that and that link option industry volumes. My, my point there is that the active manager are basically all in the penalty box right now, and pact, passive doesn't step in like when target goes down twenty percent in in the short term, and and they're not they can't come back with a. They can't buy back out of that. So in these shorter term windows, you have these crazy moves because there we go. you know people in my seat right, can't so, really. Play. So what? So what is this? This is just overall trading volume by month for of options. Yep. I can't I mean, believe I can't believe it peaked in uh, January of 2021. Yeah, but so what? But so what? Look how high it still is compared to pre-pandemic. It's uh, twice the size. It could be different types of options now than it was 18 months ago, though. No, it's not all. It's not all just. It's not like just speculative buying options. That's, that's what the, I mean. That's the thing, right? This could be a lot of covered calls now. It's the same volume, but we don't have a breakdown of what kind of options activity. So yeah, I mean, there's just there's an enormous. I mean, Mike Green talks about this a lot, and there's uh, well, Ben Eifert. There's, there's a lot of covered guys. calls ETF strategies that are right. now have ten billion dollars. Yeah. So all of this might like market structure stuff. Like it's not bullshit. Right. No, I mean, no, it's not bullshit. No. Also, because think about how many algorithmic uh, trades are being done. At extremes, pushing those extremes further. And so, when you see Target down twenty five percent, what does that do to these models? Like literally. Well, I mean, the thing that a lot of quants are doing, right, is I, I think there's a lot of different types of quants are doing a lot of different things. And but I think there's there's some there there's intent ascribed to what quants are doing that isn't necessarily present. In a lot of these, a lot of what these guys are doing is they're going, okay, you guys care about this, what this business is. I don't give a shit about that. All right, let's talk about what the stock is. Okay, the stock's in the S&P 500. So every time somebody trades an S&P 500 future or an ETF or something like that, there's look-through volume. Anytime somebody trades an option on that index or trades an option on the stock or trades an option on the sector ETF, or there's all these other securities that anytime they trade, there's some, you know, butterfly effect impact on that stock. And so when you have a window, uh, and so from time to time, that all of a sudden is going to massively overwhelm what anything else can do, especially because basically you think about it, there's a bunch of people who are playing for different reasons. If the active guys go, I need to figure out what happened in this quarter, so we're not going to trade, and the passive guys don't have views, then you're left with all that stuff. And if there's a bunch of 
you could go gamma or whatever. If there's a bunch of selling pressure, there's no yeah. bids. You see a stock, you see a stock go up five percent on Monday, down five percent on Tuesday, up five percent on Wednesday. You know that's what Coinbase is doing right now. Yeah, you know intuitively there are no human beings passing judgment on that company. Right. Uh, that's all mechanics, all weird shit going on on both sides of the ball. Right. And when you're an investor and you're logging into your uh, Morgan Stanley account or whatever, you're watching that, there is a temptation to just be like, this is stupid. Why am I even doing this? And I don't think I don't think we're fully there yet, but I think that's the kind of thing that leads to capitulation. It doesn't just have to be down stocks. It could be that up and down pattern that seems random and meaningless. And people just say, I, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. This, this is the scariest thing in markets right now is very few people who are trading right now have ever been through extended periods of pain. And not even like it going down, just every time it's been bad since, you know, thirteen, eleven. Yeah, it's been bad for like maybe six weeks max, and then we just rip out. And so everybody's been trained to double down, buy all the dips. And we call that a martingale strategy around yeah, here. Yeah, there we go. No, no, no. But you can right. So now you can have bottoms and bounces yeah. that never get back they to fail. the high. Right. And then they lower roll highs, back over. Lower highs. Yeah. That will that will nothing will kill sentiment like that. Right. Is what so now, now so now there's like, you know, guys like a lot of people you know. By where, the way, I'm, gonna, I'm about to kill myself. So right, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna open this yeah, up. This no, this super is a, there's a lot of people. <laughs> we're going to get to the bullish stuff in a minute. Yeah. But there's a lot of people, you no, know. We're not. Um, no, who are around not. in 2000 where when they talk about trading, they're gonna, they're, they say things like, you know, I'm going to put some on. I'm taking a little off here. Da, da, da. And there's younger guys who are like, what is this guy talking about? Like, why would you do that? And now it's like, now people are like, you know what? Maybe the take half off thing. Like, there's a reason why these chartists do all this stuff. You know what I did in the last week? You know what I did in the last week? You I, take a little off? Yeah, I bought nothing. I, I, I took the stocks that are down the most. That bounced the most, right? And I sold half. I have some big, huge, like they're not they're not yeah. big positions. They don't matter to me in real life, but they looked so horrendous <laughs> at the lows, and then all of a sudden they went up twenty percent, twenty five percent. So you know what we haven't seen yet? Earnings estimates comes down coming down, and these have to get look at look at these, look at the consensus analyst estimates. Yeah, I'm gonna say no. Well, hold on. They're Co- saying who, consensus analyst estimate. As of April 30th, for the S&P 500 earnings this year, was $275. I'll take the, I'll take the under on that. I mean, day. these have to come down. Now, the good news is, to the extent that there is good news, we got uh, HSBC cutting their S&P 500 year-end target to $4,450 from $4,900. We have Deutsche coming out from $4,750 uh, down from $5,250. Every major Wall Street Analysts strategist ha- is now a 35% chance of recession. We got it. Cheers. Yeah, yeah. right? We got, we got <laughs> every, it. Every one of them. So you're there telling me there's a chance. We have to get like analysts like saying, you know what? Maybe Apple, maybe we're going to cut it to a hold. It's coming. It's all It's all starting. Um I actually do have like a bullish take whenever whenever it's appropriate to like now, take a out of the tail. Wait, here's my bullish take. That would be good. Here's my bullish take. So I was right writing so why is everyone bearish? Why are sentiment indicators literally through the floor? Mostly because of this show. Because everybody <laughs> oh, this episode. Because everybody yeah. knows a recession is coming. We're not getting blindsided. Everybody sees the train right. and we're standing on the track. And so hopefully, like the bullish case is the monster is never as scary as you think it is in the movies. And so we're front running the anticipation of it being really bad. Okay. And if it's not as bad as we think it is, that could be a nice setup. Why are you jinxing us like this? It's going to get bad. The monster's, it's going to be the scariest monster of all you, time. Do you have a date you're calling the recession no. to start? The reason everyone is casually saying recession is because nobody is insecure about their job. 
every everyone knows they can get a new job tomorrow. Right. Nobody All they says hear that. about from pe- normal people don't know the stats that we just cited before: eleven million open jobs. No, but they feel jobs. themselves getting poorer every time they go to Walmart. But wait a minute! But they're not worried about their employment. I don't think. I, that's why I think people are like, yeah, there's going to be a recession later this year. First of all, a lot of small businesses are rooting for one because, quite frankly, they can't get supplies. They can't get this. They can't hire people. Really they, dumb to root for one if you are a small business. I agree. Yeah, I know what you mean. I agree, but I talk to construction guys, landscaping yeah. guys. They're like, I can't take it anymore. I talk to construction guys. I do. Yeah, okay. I really do. Yeah, name one. Uh, you've actually used them in your home. Kevin? Yeah. You don't talk to Kevin. Dude, I talk to Kevin all the time. <laughs> and by the way- and by the way, think think about think about uh, think about somebody that can't hire people, yeah, and it, and they and they have to continue to spend more for everything that they have to purchase. Wouldn't they want a not not a recession? Wouldn't they want like a stop? They want a to the land, upward like, trend. Yeah, they want a soft right. land. What do you? What's bullish? Let's okay. get bullish. let's get bullish. Okay, let's talk about so 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 we're in this weird place where bad might be good. That's um, what I'm trying to say, but yeah. you're laughing. Literally, bad yeah, might be good. Bad might be good here. Okay, so let's 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 first first let's go darker. <laughs> okay, the doomsday scenario is we have like a 1970s style inflation, and we try to hike rates and it doesn't do anything, and like the dollar collapses. That's doomsday. Yeah, and it gets you know, uh, and then probably worse things happen. But uh, that's the really bad thing. In the past, 35 percent chance. Yeah, you know, you know, put a put a number on it. One in three. The good thing, perversely, is in the past when there have been attempts to tighten financial conditions, you have not seen anywhere near as fast of a response in the economy as we're we're seeing right now. We're tightening. We're tightening. I mean, Bank of America put out a great credit card data panel where it showed, you know, basically year-over-year comps going from plus 15 to kind of minus two across like 17 different sectors. Freight prices are down. You know, computer chip prices are down. Kind of sector by sector, you're going in there, and things are coming in. Now, it's not yet happening for gasoline, obviously, and that's one that really messes with people's heads because they've been kind of trained to think or it's, wages, right? And wages, and but what we're seeing now is we're, we're seeing the beginning of a loosening of of the labor market, um, and so in, in a weird way, like the things that sort of led inflation on the way up are already roll, rolling or rolled over. Used cars, all these other things coming in, and yeah, they're not down that much. But if they if things continue as, the, as they're going right now. We could get out of this inflation problem, which is the reason we need Titan, which is the reason everything needs to cool off. We're we're choosing to put the patient in a coma here because otherwise the patient's gonna get a fever and die. So You don't have as, to wait you don't have to wait every month for a CPI report. Right. You can just watch commodities every right. day. All right, so keep you going, so keep going. There. Yeah. So and and there's this weird dynamic right now where government the, the 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 official economic data that's coming out has all sorts of weird different lags. And so there's gonna be some Scaring the shit out of people processes as different data comes in or out of that. And also there's going to be all this weird comparative stuff happening. But you also got to remember the market always bottoms six, nine months before the recession is fully clear. Nice. Right? So we're going into a period where I think we're seeing deceleration. I think we're going to continue to see that. We do have a shortage in commodities. But, you know, we could see we could see the kind of real-time inflation data come off a lot faster than people think. Uh, particularly if the economy keeps decelerating like this. And right now there's this weird place where everybody's kind of trying to talk about, you know, next year is going to be super rough. I think I think we're tightening very quickly. I think everything's coming off really, really quickly. I think there's a scenario on the table where by the time we get to 
sometime in Q3, Q4, you're starting to see a lot of things kind of rebalance, unfortunately, because the economy slowed down. But the second this inflation thing isn't a runaway train, then we're kind of done with this. Here's the problem, though. It's the, the mix shift of it. Yeah. Because it's not going to happen in rents and it's not going to happen in wages. Wages will stop going up, but they're not going back down the way right. used cars have. Like used car prices could roll over. Wage growth doesn't roll over. It sticks. That's number one. And that's a really big part of this whole thing. Uh, and the real estate shortage, the, the the rental prices, again, that's the kind of thing that tends to stick. Arguably, it's a bullish argument for REITs. They the cons- pass along costs and the costs stay yeah. up. The concern is – you know, the question is, are we talking about absolute price level or are we talking about rate of change? We're, talking, so, about, we're talking about rate right, of change. Rate of change. Right. But politicians are talking about absolute price level. Can you believe the price of this? Can you believe the price of that? That that confusion is where a lot of the risk of policy mistakes comes in, I think. Yeah. Is that when people talk about inflation, a lot of these policies, they're not talking about the same thing at all. That's right. Gas at $5 is not a big problem if it stays at 5 If it's five fifty next month, 6 six fifty seven, that's, right. that's a problem. Because when people start seeing that every time they go out of their house, they go, holy shit, this is never going to stop. I got to pull spending back. And then you end up in this really nasty But then you process. also have these sideshows that are not relevant economically, but right. culturally, right. extremely important, like baby formula. Right. And this is being used as a cudgel against Joe Biden. Right. Joe Biden rob- robbed your baby of formula, right. his policies. Um, that's a sideshow. The, the price or scarcity of baby formula is not an input to CPI. It's not it's not important, but it's really important it's to the people. mindset and sentiment. Right. It's extremely important because yeah. that's the context that people think they're waking up to the world in each morning. Right. A world where uh, their niece can't get baby formula. Right. That dominates their thinking. And I think enough of that kind of mass sentiment is now weighing on – Everything from stock prices to you name it. Well, the market, the mar- as we know, the market will bottom with horrific news. Yes. And it will rally on on even less horrific news, but still horrific news. Let's let's pause for a second. All right. We just had a global pandemic that humanity just collectively just took on the jaw, walked through, and then won the fight in a knockout. And now we're paying for it a little bit. I still think the trade's good. I Great still trade. think I think you take it all day. Yep. The problems we're dealing with right now. What? You take the inflation you take, for only you having take, lost a million Americans. Yeah, I and mean, we could have done better. But well, this is a result of stimulus, stimulus and monetary policy. If we did nothing, information at the time, right, right, and that's another thing. Although people, we did go too far, the Josh, we were Josh talking about this the other day. The stimulus package in March twenty one, the one point whatever trillion dollars it was, that was a bit much. Almost entirely political. Yeah. Um, no economic. No <laughs> economic practical, reason for that. Practical. I think. I think given information at the time, practical constraints and all of that. Yeah, the like, pandemic response what, was appropriate. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I think I think one point three trillion in March of twenty one with the Nasdaq at a record high. <laughs> yeah, that one was ridiculous. What are we doing? But um, my point is, I think the problems we're dealing with right now, by and large, with the exception of commodities, where we have a we we we, we needed. I I don't really think it's ESG. I think it's more that returns were horrible and people lost so much money in oil and gas and other stuff that you know, an ESG kind of gave them a great excuse to not invest Under in invest. that. But we, we have to like hey, – if Russia like, didn't invade Ukraine at the end of February – That would have really helped. Would the inflation – would the inf- the transitory inflation have been a little bit more transitory? Would the Fed I, have looked I, smarter? I think, I think we still – yes. We would have – I think we'd be in a better position. Oil was, still, seven, oil was 70? We'd still have a, a big problem. Okay. Um, it would just been a more of a frog boiling, slow burn thing. But – So Putin really did win when you think about it. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm just saying. 
I just think that when you look at the problem set we're dealing with right now, every problem we're dealing with is a problem that humanity has solved many times. Yeah. It's not necessarily fun. Sometimes it's sometimes it takes a while. Like we're going to solve all of these problems. And so like the main point I realize I've been like super bearish and critical on this, and I, I tried not to be most of the time. But you know, there isn't a rush. You have a time right now to go research, make a plan. This is the time to be a long-term investor and to think five or 10 years out. Not when stocks are at 50 times sales. Could not agree more. Right? And I got so sick of hearing that. Everybody's like, my biggest mistakes are errors of omission and da-da-da. No, shut up. That's nonsense. It's <laughs> what, ridiculous. Oh, the stock I didn't buy that doubled? That, yeah, that was everybody saying, you know my biggest mistake as an investor is? I, I missed Solana. I missed that. Or I, I sold too well, early. You know I'm what's like, bullish? You know what's bullshit? No. 20, the exogenous shock is never, right? This is a normal market cycle. Yes. We're, we yes. know, we know we're working our way through the cycle. There's a playbook for this. Right. We know how this goes. We will get out of it. You can, you can literally, there are books written on exactly how this went. There's pretty reliable options. You can, you just got to ignore the doomsday. The dollar is not collapsing. Like we're not well, going to nuclear war. Well, this is a truism always. You, you can you buy the must, missiles. No, you must tune out. The most hysterical, most extreme version of things, right. and the people who make their money propagating those scenarios, like right. that's a truism or, or at all times. Whoever is the most extreme is the most dangerous to your to your. Mental there will health. be people saying the market's right. going to zero, right? And it's not. And uh, this is all going to pass. And and the, rea- the reality is, right now, if you spend the next, if you spend the summer, all right, summer things generally tend to calm down a little bit. Uh, it doesn't mean things are going up, but make a plan, have a view on what you actually want to own for the next five or 10 years. You're going to get some great prices. And, and one of these, I, I always tell people when they're asking me like, Hey gosh, should I do my, you know, brokerage account or whatever? I'm like, learn the should companies. I do my brokerage account? <laughs> you know, I have a bunch of people call me and they're like, Hey, I like, uh, you know, I'm friends with your sister and, and I want to do I heard you're a hedge fund manager. Right. What do you think of Intel? Yeah. Or like, Hey, <laughs> I, I'm thinking about getting into algorithmic trading. I'm like, first of all, you're not a coder. Uh, but you got to pick, pick, pick your asset allocation, pick your stocks, pick your buy levels. If you just, if you think you're going to decide a good buy price in the moment, moment, no, 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 you got to, you got to go through, do the work right now, pick your, pick your price levels, have a time horizon, have a time horizon and, and understand that have a rich family. Hey, speaking of no rush, be born into a real estate billionaire family. My friend texted me yesterday. I know you don't love giving advice, but I got an email from my advisor. He wants to buy NVIDIA, Amazon and Shopify. Bye bye bye. Market is wild. I know. I was never being into size, but wanted to get your take. Hey, do you ca- do you care about um, uh, executive comp and pay packages? Do you think that's a silver line? Uh, let me let me set this up. This is kind of a big story. I actually, this week. I actually have like a op- I have a take. All right, I want to hear it. Intel that. executive comp package rejected. Gelsinger is the new CEO. He just took over in February of 2021. So of course. He received a compensation package worth $179 million last year. Yeah, that's before taxes. Which makes perfect sense. That's true. Right. Uh, The compensation included a million in salary, $1.75 million in bonus, and then $140 million in stock awards, and then another $30 million in option awards, which I wouldn't take that job for a dollar less, to be honest. How about Jamie Dimon? They slapped him down. Uh, Well, wait. Back to Intel. In 2021, 16 companies had executive pay packages rejected by shareholders, so almost none. Now, all of a sudden, that's going on. New hot trend, trend alert. Uh, Only 31% of investors backed Jamie Dimon making what, 50 million? John, throw up this chart. So 70%. We're looking at shareholder support at JP Morgan. What's AGMs? 
annual general meeting. Okay, since 2009. Next chart, please. So they so they basically rubber stamp this every year. It's yeah. 90% yeah. Uh, approval. Um, this year it's 30, 30% approval for that pay package. So he might only make like 40 million, which I, I don't know what you expect this guy to do. <laughs> But all right, what's your what's your what's your take here? I'm a fan of Jamie's, but um, so am I. Yeah, I'm a shareholder. I, I would have given the money, by the way. Right. I mean, one of the things that we the way we look at it is we look at how the executive team and really the whole team is being compensated relative to the elements in the business that they can control. And so, if Ooh, you, I like that, I like right. That. Yeah. And so, if you are happen to be the CEO of a penny stock like copper miner. And copper prices are going nuts, and then you're like, "I deserve to get call options on all the stock." No, like I'm, I'm sorry, uh, that just doesn't make any sense because you didn't. You, you, there's nothing you're doing that is driving that. Yeah, but I took the risk in going into the copper mining industry. Don't well, I get something for that? You know, you probably just were dumb. But uh, if you took the job, like th- there are scenarios where somebody comes in. You know, so what, we're, what we look at a lot of times is when you have a company that we think has been mismanaged and then you have a really good manager comes in. And sometimes what they're saying is, I'm going to fix this company. We're going to do all this other stuff. And I think Copper's about to go on a run. And as my pay, I don't want a lot of cash comp, but I want to get super paid on stock if the stock works. because I'm, And they're calling their shot. And I love situations like that. Yeah. I'm not aligned with management. Management is aligned and also making a very explicit bet that my thesis is the same as his. We're all super aligned. I like that. For, for large corporates, you know, some of these guys actually are adding a lot of value. Actually, the only person that can do what they can do. Uh, I don't have a strong view on any of those individuals. It is ridiculous for everybody to come out now and be offended by the comp. But they, the only, care, but right. they only care when they are losing money. Right. Which is my point. Right. Perhaps this is a silver lining for shareholders generally that somebody is now paying attention to this. Um, but they would only pay attention in a down market. You would in a bull market, everybody's making money. Nobody's right. looking at what anyone else is doing, right? Yeah, I mean, just as an example, like when I go talk to management teams, one of the questions I ask is, "What is your capital allocation plan?" So you guys have profits coming from the business. What are you going to do, do with, with the money? How do you think about right. that? Do you have like a formula? Do you have a what? How does that work? And I'll tell you, like eighty plus percent of public listed companies have nothing, nothing. Not even a stock answer that they can give you. It's well, we consider a lot of very, you know, we, we yeah. bullshit, nothing. And so what I, when I look at that, I'm like, all right, none of these institutional shareholders that have all this voting power, none of these people are going in and enforcing just like basic accountability, basic blocking, attacking, basic planning, which is why when there's these market crises, you see these companies make these horrible decisions because they didn't have a plan going in and then mm-hmm. they freak out at the bottom. And so, yeah, I mean, these people are probably being overpaid. But I think it's a little bit of just like a ridiculous theater show for shareholders, or certain shareholder groups to be like, and now we're protecting shareholders. I'm like, no, you should have had a conversation about how the money was being invested before they lost it. It's like, you know, it's like arresting the guy who just burned the entire neighborhood down. And it's like, well, maybe you should have like arrested well, him. Well, there's also some shade in Freud and there's also some like, well, I'm losing money too. So you should share in the losses with me. You shouldn't right. get paid $180 million to uh, run Intel, right? you know, but given that I'm not up on Intel anymore. So I, just, I think that's like just human nature. Yeah, it, it's very much human nature, but you would just hope that, I mean, again, all these people on the investing side and also on the corporate side, they're getting paid a lot of money 
allegedly for expertise, skill, et cetera. And so you would hope that all of these people have basic plans, basic procedures that actually make sense, that actually hold up under scrutiny so that even if, you know, they're getting paid a little more on a down year, they go, look, we, we know that this business will have down years. It's in the budget. This is what we plan for. This is the five-year, this is how this works. It's consistent. And I note there are CEOs who are still getting paid a lot of money who are not being held over the coals by their shareholders. I'm, again, I'm not commenting on those people. But there's just, you know, Intel's been a not great situation. Yeah. Um, it's so underperformed for a couple of decades. Right. And, and, and with Intel, you know, well, they've also just gotten crushed by several other people and, and they looked like they look like they're the AMG, disrupted company Taiwan right now. Semi. Yeah. No, look, if that guy, their lunch. Oh my God. Look, if, if I was on any of those compensation committees I, and the guy took the job right now, I'd go, okay, look, you know, you're taking a really, really rough job uh, and we're super willing to get you, you know, crazy rich. But you're going to have to actually deliver before you get there. Also, that, you're right? taking a really tough job, but you're taking it at the bottom. Right. If you the whole the whole thing should be if you pull this off on a five year basis as defined by blank, then yeah, you're going to probably get a few hundred million dollars because it meant you probably produced tens of billions for other people. Fair. We'll we'll make you generationally wealthy for that. But the idea that during the attempt. <laughs> You should get paid that much. Yes. Uh, no. Here's I an think advance, that's ridiculous. So here's an advance on all the great things right. you're going to do. Here's an advance on saving the world. I just feel like there can't just be one person who would do that job and their price is 180 Take it or leave it. It just doesn't sound like the way the real world works. It's, you it's, need a lot of consultants really, to make it so that that seems normal. Well, I mean and, – and, and part of it is because – I don't know, that there's the same thing like there's a similar thing with uh, Marissa Mayer at Yahoo and, and stuff like that where yeah ridiculous. that was I don't really know that she had any I don't know that she had a shot of saving that thing no and so it almost seemed like the pay package to her where they were like look your career is going to be over. she has star power though yeah, yeah your career is going to be over but you're going to look great in the Esquire piece Vanity Fair you know yeah I don't I have no idea right so I don't have a super strong opinion on that I just think generally. Uh, executive compensation needs to be improved. It needs to be tied into operations, capital allocation. And the shareholders need to stop doing this like, oh, we don't care, now we care thing. And it's it's really disruptive. Also, there's a very s- finite amount of actual shareholders. Right. Because if you own this in e- ETF, you don't care who gets paid what. And uh, most people that own individual stocks, if you look over the decades, their holding period has declined. Look at this chart of uh, Intel divided by the semis. Not great. That's not great. No. It's probably the worst in the whole group. Uh, last thing we're going to do before we get out of here. Uh, how bullshitty is ESG on the scale of one to Elon Musk as a god? They removed Tesla? I don't understand. Elon Musk is now actively tweeting that ESG is, the, quote, the devil incarnate. <laughs> Did he? No, he didn't. It was a little theatrical. No, he's, he's, it's an outrageous scam is, mm. what, he's, is what he's saying. Uh, isn't it an outrageous scam or just like an old school, old fashioned scam? Um, or is it really great for the the uh, environment? <laughs> I'm just, I was kidding. Well, I think he also mentioned that Exxon's a top ten by this uh, yeah. ranking. Uh, Elon's take is that ESG is so he actually missed what the because Tes- Tesla was kicked out of the S and P five hundred. They probably ESG got kicked out for the G. Right. They wrote a well. They wrote a blog post, of course. S uh, S and P did a TikTok explaining that um, right there were like racial incidents that they don't feel have been fully corrected right. and whatever. Um, but Elon's point is, out, out of all the public companies, they've probably advanced the ball more 
for, for uh, clean energy True. than any company in history. Fair, no? Right. I think that's fair. I yeah. don't think GM, uh, Ford, all these other companies are doing as much with EVs if not for the success of Tesla. No, no way. way. No way. Um, but so he actually missed the real part, reason why it's a scam. The real reason why it's a scam is it's the S&P 480 with quadruple the basis point fee. It's like oh, yeah. we're removing we're removing a few stocks and we're going to charge four times the amount for basically right. – that's the scammy aspect of ESG. But what he's basically saying is this is about furthering the leftist agenda and there's probably a lot more emphasis behind closed doors on uh, the S part, right. the social part. Yeah. I, 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 I've, I've, we want you to now right. dance through those landmines that yeah, I've set up for you. you. <laughs> Thank you. Close yeah. everyone's mic, please. I want, I want Dan to have the floor here. Right. So, um, the VC fund Ankles Bangladesh that I'm a GP at, um, at my good friend Rahat, uh, is a lead partner on, he lives in Dhaka, Bangladesh, and he's helping people in, you know, a frontier market. That's not know, ESG. That's impact investing. That's the real thing. Well, yeah. So we're yeah. So we're we're mixing up terms, right? And so we we had this like idea, right, where we're like, okay, we're going to go to one of the poorest countries on the planet. There's a lot of smart people. We're going to help them like build like healthcare Crypto. for the country. Oh, healthcare. Yeah, all right. and uh, and all this other say, stuff, I was right? Say. And then we had we started having conversations with some like ESG related entities, and so I had to get up the curve on how all that worked, and. It's it's a blanket term that means very different things to very yeah. different. So for example, U.S. ESG versus EU ESG in Europe, they're serious about it. Totally different thing. Yeah, like this is like a it, the the Europeans are not playing games That's with right. this. Um, there's so much paperwork. Oh my gosh! But uh, in in America, it is. I think it's a particularly dangerous concept in the United States. Because of the political Twitter weird media morass, where it it, it it's just too dangerous about becoming really arbitrary, and you know, and and there's also just weird uh, agency costs and like timeline asymmetries. So, you know, do we want to, as a society, not use as much fossil fuels? Yes. Is it smart to not invest in metals and fossil fuel production? No, we well, we're need. Learned, we, we're learning that now. We're learning that the really hard way, right? And there, there, you know, there's a dangerous ex- externality problem here. And the other thing is, like, I, I just Grantham talks a lot about that. It's right. like this well-meaning thing where we've it's starved well-meaning. vital industries, right, and crushed employment in, in vital industries, and we've lost a lot of know-how, right, and a lot of technical capability by underinvesting. Yeah, and also, you know, not only that, but you know, you. It contributes to this. I mean, I think one of the saddest things in our society right now is how willing everybody is to demonize large groups of people. You know, if you're a if you're a white guy who does blue collar work, if somebody sees a picture, if I, I could tweet a picture of a random guy who's like a carpenter in West Virginia, and I Trump could be voter. like, yeah, people are going to yeah. rip that guy apart. And these are people just trying to make a living. Um, you know, and it, and it could be any other demographic as well. That guy, right? Yeah, and uh, okay. you know. I'm. I just think it's very dangerous to apply moral judgments to things which are clearly vital to the functioning of the economy. Um, I think you can you should use policy stuff to incentivize and to create like a glide path for us to move off of this onto that. But this attempt to like kind of choke things out and demonize this or help this, it's just not productive. And then 
you end up with the, the bigger problem is when you try to put a layer in like ESG, you go, okay, we already have we already have all this compliance and we have all this weighting stuff, liquidity stuff, how we're distributing the product. You have all this uh, kind of costs that go in there. And then when you insert this ESG layer, you're adding another layer of intermediaries who it's it's not that they're not qualified to invest. It's that there's just too much to know. And so they're making decisions where they have a very, very narrow perspective. And they're even within the narrow perspective, they're, they're looking at it from one very specific set of, of, of guidelines. And so they're, they're kind of overcorrecting because they're going from nobody's considering these issues to only considering those issues and only considering them from a single perspective. And so I, I think it's like a very admirable and good thing. And, and I would note that a lot of the best companies of all time like, actually do incorporate a good amount of this. Um, there are some very well-known ESG. I, I don't think they refer to themselves this way, right? But there are some very well-known hedge funds. Sustainable investing and yeah. things like that. What's the guy? Uh, Blue something or other. Um, he's very like he's very much at the forefront of that. I'm blanking on his name. I know you're talking about. Yeah, but he's like very well respected because he's running a hedge fund based on a, co- a code. He may it may not get the stamp of approval from X Y index, right. but he's basically saying like. Right. These are the types of things I will and won't do, and his investors want that. Right. And it might cost basis points of return, or it might be additive, depending on what's in favor in the market. What's interesting is there's actually people who have the exact opposite perspective, which is there are businesses where if you withdraw capital from them, they will go out of business. And so you, by not investing, are actually harming that thing that you think is evil. But there's other businesses like cigarettes, for example, that have so much cash flow coming off of them that they certainly don't need investor capital. Uh, but somebody has to own those securities as long as it's legal. And so there's a different perspective actually, which is, you know, and I think this actually makes some sense in a weird way, which is if you're like a charitable foundation or you're somebody trying to make the world a better place, it almost makes sense to buy sin stocks because you're actively rerouting the cash flows take from the those dividends, things. Take the profits and put them somewhere else. Put them into something that's good. Like yeah. you can weaponize the bad thing to fight the good thing. And, you know, and that's something that Buy all trade off on the blockchain. I get Look, it. Look, we, right. we have a, a small percentage of clients who are very committed to not having a single cent that they make going right. to things that they don't agree with. Right. And our job as wealth managers is to respect that and find yes. solutions. But then we have clients that are kind of on the fence. They they get the arguments against putting money into things, but they also want returns and they don't feel that strongly. So for those people, the right answer is – well, you're giving to philanthropic causes and maybe it's the environment or maybe it's – but take the money and then try to try to make a difference with the money rather than trying to make a difference with your investment posture, if that makes well, sense. Well, because the point is you're not going to make a difference with your investment posture and that's, that's I think, the underlying problem. So I don't think there's universal agreement on that. I do think that you're in Europe especially. They oh, really in Europe, do, it's a very different thing. So right? I, do, I think US that there are people who really do think that with their investment posture – withholding money from some industries or giving double to others that they are going to make a difference. I'm, I'm a big believer that you you absolutely can can drive change by adding capital. But, but not I by think, withholding but I think, it. Look, guns, cigarettes, oil. Someone's going to do it. Not someone's going to do it. They, there's so much cash just coming off of the existing ad. They don't need – I mean what is Altria's dividend yield right now? 10%? We broke a record in gun sales last year. Right. I mean, they're not starved for capital. Right. These guys are not – and they're paying they, – these are all over like 6 7% dividend yielders right now. So the idea that by not buying those stocks, you're going to somehow like harm the gun industry, I'm like, no, uh, it's just not going to happen. Um, yeah, Altria is 7%. You know, so yeah, adding, a- adding capital I think absolutely works. And so a lot of like the 
European institutions, things like that, they're being very intelligent about like what problem are we trying to solve? What's missing? How do we do that? And they're not spending a lot of time. They will say that like you can't um, like participate in like, you know, we don't want you to fund a venture back company that is like a cigarette distributor. We're not like, we're not interested in funding the expansion of that industry. But they're really focused on like, well, how can we actually drive positive let's, change? Let's say Duncan comes to you and he's a huge family office. Yep. And he says, um, I want you to create a version of your portfolio f- just for us. Yep. We're going to give you enough capital that will be worth your uh, right. worth the paperwork. But you cannot put my money into the following five sub-industry groups for any reason. Right. Uh, you'd probably take the money and figure out a way to do it. All day. So I think most people would. Right. Okay. So it's here to stay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Elon Musk probably is having a lot of fun with that argument, but I think he's genuinely pissed that he's not being recognized by the people who claim they love the environment. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of rage there and I, and I get it. Yeah. I, I, uh, same. I think even if you agree with, Every criticism that's ever been lobbied against Elon. You can't take away from him that he's it's, advanced the ball. It's also just – I don't understand it as a political move because that's a thing that's going to be a fight. Oh, yeah. Right? You're not like saying Procter & Gamble is not ESG anymore, which – and they're going to privately send you a letter and say we're very displeased. Like you're going to get at a big fight and, I, you know, I, I don't understand it. That's the most it. interesting – that's the most interesting argument. Talking about like, all right, somebody breaks the law whatever. Now what? He's this this thing's gonna end up in a Delaware Chancery Court. Imagine the officials that serve on that court in Delaware, they're gonna enforce him having to buy Twitter. Right. And then what happens? He says, Okay, I see the judgment of the court. No. <laughs> Does anybody working for a bankrupt uh, uh for a, a an MA uh panel in a court in Delaware want to personally tell him that he has to follow through with this transaction? probably it's not going to be the best week of your life. I My my take on the Twitter situation uh, is that, you know, and Matt, Matt Levine has always been this like great sort of like postmodern nihilistic take on finance that is really <laughs> great, great writer. But now like the world has come to him and it's kind of weird. It's it's kind of like if a comedian, you know, comedian goes from being like a commentator to being like a, like a, pro, being a, uh, like a, a seer, a prophet. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, Matt Levine's like famous. Matt, Matt Levine's like feeling – he's like one with the flow of the universe right now, which is really scary. No, but he gets it. Tell yeah. me what the rule is. OK, so what? Right. But the, but I think the difference is right now that stuff always happens when it's like it's like one rule or two ruler. It's, it's always, there's always people on the edges playing games and, and he's – I'm really weirded out by the situation because now you're in a situation where there is a lot of liability for a lot of people in a lot of different ways, multiple states, mer- multiple different types of cases. This thing has to get clean like pretty fast or – Well, there's no rule of law. Or, or Yeah. And so like the, the Twitter deal spread in a lot of ways is kind of like a proxy on the rule of law because there's a lot of opinions out here, but he waived his right to diligence. He's openly admitted that he was aware of whatever bot problem he's making up. The bot disclosure has been in the things the whole time. Yeah. He signed the merger agreement. He has the financing. What is any merger agreement worth right. if this doesn't get enforced? And not only that, if the board doesn't sue him to force performance, 
all of them are going to get hammered for this. And I don't know if DNO insurance will cover this. Like, I don't know. They'll get sued into the Stone Age by right. shareholders because right. the stock will collapse you know what to I'm, 20. You know what I'm shocked? I'm shocked that, and we might walk out of here and open up the news to see this happen. I'm shocked that a Carl Icahn or a David Tepper or something like that hasn't swung in, bought 6%, and just said, hey, close this. Or I'm going to bury all of you. Ain't going to be Tepper, but uh, I mean, no, he's busy. But could like, be, it could you know, be, it could be, it could happen. You just need a, you, you need another billionaire who's a little bored who who doesn't mind spending legal fees. You hear that, Carl? I know you listen each week. I'm told. <laughs> all right, listen, we we've kept you long enough. Let's do favorites, and then let's crush this uh, this bottle of Añejo. It's been a, <laughs> it's been quite a month. Um, Michael, why don't you start? I, I'm going to triple down on Barry. It's so good. Do you watch Barry? Oh, I love Barry. Is it the best? I mean, yeah. Noah Hank is the best. Mr. Oh, Mr. He's, he's I the watched funniest. the first season at Michael's uh, <laughs> Say So, and it was great. Mr. Cousineau? Oh, my. It's, it's, it just keeps getting better, <laughs> it, keeps, too. It, it keeps getting better. I fucking love that show. I'm going to stay yeah. with it. All right. I did uh, – I took Duncan's advice. So I'm going to my first ever F1 event. What? What? Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. I got invited by a friend of mine who's very plugged in, like high up at, uh, at Formula One, and I'm going to Austin, Texas in June, and I'm told I'm sitting in the Sports Illustrated section, so wow. I'm at the 12th turn. Or when something. are you going? I don't know what any of these things mean. When are you going? Awesome. I'm, I'm taking sprinkles. We're going in June to Austin, Texas. That's wow. No, awesome. October. October. That's big. Excuse me. That's big. Uh, yeah. So I lo- So I – I'm told uh, Green Day performs one night. Ed Sheeran performs. They the make other a whole night. thing out of it. It's a I thought it was deal. favorite. It's yeah. not a deal, just right? Just a brag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <this laughs> yeah what's going on? Yeah. So let me get to the favorites part. Let me get to the favorites part. I no, I don't. I don't do like status games like that. It's it's genuinely somebody I want to spend time with, and and he invited this out. Um, I started watching the show on Netflix to prepare for this because I don't want to be the only idiot, right. like in the grandstand or on the paddock, like. What is what you know? Where am I? What what happens next? Right. So I started watching. What's the Netflix show? Drive to Survive. Awesome show. Yeah. No, like I'm not even an F1 fan. I'm like now a fan of three different drivers. Wait, I who watched are your the drivers? first. I watched the first season. So Riccardi, Ricardo. Uh, Ricardo. Yeah, yeah. That that guy's a stud. Uh, what's the what's the guy that um crashed his car because he like wanted to win the qualifier or whatever? Luka Doncic. Young guy. Young kid. He completely he completely wrecked his shit. Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure it which season matter. you're on. I'm totally into the show now. I'm going to finish all four seasons. Awesome. I think it's one of the best things on Netflix. Cool. Um, oh, this is quite so a bad anyways, face. You you were you were a hater. I don't think I hated nah, it. No, you were a hater. Nah, run, run it back. Run it back. Well, I think what I said was. Nah, I know what you said. Watching cars <laughs> run around a track for hours is like watching flies. <laughs> I think is what I said. So it just seemed very pointless to me. But now I'm personally invested in the driver's stories. And cool. uh, it's enough out of you. And I really want to see Green Day. All right. <laughs> what, what's your favorite? Besides hiatus tequila. I just went. Oh, you went. You just, here's a, okay, so I'm going to do a plug. Uh, so some very good friends of mine just opened a theater company, <laughs> and they're doing a show in downtown Brooklyn. It's called The Verge. Mm. Uh, I'll put some stuff on in the URL. Is it based on the uh, Twitter account? No, okay. no, 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 no. So what type it's, of theater? Okay, so it's a it's a it's a half Topless. show, half escape room, which, which sounds like really weird. So basically, you go you you've been invited to the reading of a will for a, a rich guy that you don't know, and you're like, why have I been invited? So you show up, they give you a glass of wine, you go. Oh, I love this. Stuff. Wait, you take mushrooms before you're like part of the show. I wouldn't do that. Yes, part of the show. I yes. love this stuff. Okay, so it's you, called immersive theater. Yeah, okay. yeah. So it's it's it, there's only ten seats. You're sitting around a table. You get a glass of wine. 
the lawyer comes in, starts going through the reading of the will and the procedures, and then slowly you realize that you are a part of the part of the show. So you think you're an audience member, right? But they write you into the show. It's kind of a choose your own adventure thing. So based on what people in the room do, there's like a bunch of different endings, and it'll go all sorts of different ways. It can go super off the rails, mm. um, and you know, there's a bunch of different stuff there. So so it's called the Verge. It's called the Verge. Why is it called that? That's the name of the theater. Or one the of the characters' the name is 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 Virgil. This sounds awesome. Um, but it's it's some of my really good sounds friends. Cool, right? They wrote it. It's great. You get you get a drink. You get a snack. There's some puzzles. Sounds like a field um, trip. Yeah, how long does it last? Is it like a couple? It's hours? like a it's like a ninety minute thing. How many people are at each show? Ten. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Because you can't make fifty people part of the the show. Right. Because everybody has to be able to talk to each other. What part of Brooklyn? Downtown Brooklyn, right next to like Decalb Market, if you know where so, that is. So you sat through the show? Yeah. Okay. Did you win? Or, I think I, I won. Okay. I think I won. Did you escape? I don't, I don't know. I, can, I convinced – there's a point in the show where that you, you have to form a – let's call it a jury. Do they have an ESG okay. version? Uh, yeah, is there an ESG version Actually, the there is a point in the show where you basically have to make an ESG call. I don't want to give away the You know, the Don't thing. give anything away. Okay, it's called but The yeah. Verge. How do you buy tickets on the internet? Yeah, I'll put the link in the description. It's uh, – uh, it's, it's produced by Uncle Mike Productions. So if you Google The Verge, Uncle Mike Productions, you'll see it. Tickets are 65 bucks. You get a glass of wine, hour and a half long show. I hate to tell you, we just sold out the rest of the year for the show. That's so. great. I mean, it's like 10 seats. So like if three people buy yeah, seats, they're you. sold out. I think I'm telling you, we just, we, just, we just sold out the rest of the year. There All right. Go. That sounds cool. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, special thanks to Dan McMurtry coming through on short notice. Did you have fun today? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, okay. I'm really apologizing to everybody who's listening to the really – bullish and optimistic things we had to say but no dude this is what this, this show sounds like this is what a bottom sounds like this show yeah uh, honestly this show, this show sounds very this bottom-y. is a capitulatory yeah. show notice i, I didn't say short anything yeah you know i just said, never short you know I'm, no i think we got the point across that if you're an investor this is the time that you're thinking about three years from now right. five years from now. i think we got that across in it's a very depressing back way. Back to basics. It's yeah. all about back to basics right what, now. So we're going to Kima tonight? You like Greek food? He's not coming. I got I got a hop. Oh, you're out? Uh, all yeah. right. You're going to miss that. Uh, say la vie. Yeah. Next time. All right. Uh, my man, you killed it on the show today. We appreciate it. Everybody follow Dan on Twitter at Super Mugatu. And <laughs> I was going to say at Zero Hedge. Where else, can we, <laughs> uh, where else can we follow you? That's it. I, I'm, That's I'm, the whole yeah, thing? No, yeah. All right. Shout to Duncan. Shout to John. Thanks, guys. Great job today. Thanks to Hiatus Tequila, Michael Batnick, Nicole. You crushed it. Thanks to everybody for listening. We will see you guys next week. I apologize for the suicide. So we're gonna get that. So I feel like it's a very bottomy show. I'm yeah. actually more bullish after having done yeah. this than I've, than I've been with quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, B-E-A-R? Yeah. Sure.